Welcome to this episode of the Telco Talks podcast series, focusing on topical issues in the telecommunications industry. I'm Dipti Govind, a technical accounting manager in the PwC South African practice, and I will be your host. Our aim is to keep you up to date on key accounting issues in the telecommunications industry. Joining me on this podcast is Renita Dwarika, a technical accounting partner specializing in the telecommunications industry in our PwC South African practice. Welcome, Renita. Thanks, Dipti. It's great to be back to chat about my favorite accounting topic. Yes, that's right. And for our listeners, today we will be shifting gears from IFRS 16 to IFRS 3, which is the standard that deals with business combinations. I understand that there has been an amendment to the standard. Renita, can you highlight what has changed? Sure. So IFRS 3 sets out the accounting for business combinations and defines what constitutes a business. Now, historically, determining whether something acquired met the definition of a business or was merely an asset acquisition was very judgmental. The amendment now revises the definition of a business and hopefully removes the judgment from the assessment. I have heard about a concentration test. Can you perhaps elaborate on that? Yes, you've heard right, Dipti. An entity can apply what is called an optional concentration test. If the test is met, this basically removes the need for any further assessment under IFRS 3. So in other words, the acquisition will be treated as an asset acquisition. That sounds intriguing. So how does it work? The amendment says that uh, the concentration test is met if substantially all of the fair value of the gross assets acquired is concentrated in a single identifiable asset or group of similar identifiable assets, therefore the term concentration test. Now, there are various detailed principles in the amendment, which I will not bore you and our listeners with. I will rather highlight a few things. So the first thing is that The standard does not define what constitutes substantially all. There are no bright lines, and some might interpret it to mean at least 90%. The next thing is that a single asset in terms of the concentration test includes any individual asset, a group of assets that could be recognized and measured as a single asset in a business combination. So if a telco acquires, let's say, a portfolio of 10 telco towers, the portfolio would be considered a group of similar assets because they are similar in nature and they have the same risk profile. Could you perhaps illustrate the principle of the concentration test through an example? So let's assume another simplistic example where we have a telco A who purchases another entity, entity B from from a third party, All Entity B has are legal contracts with, let's say, 50,000 subscriber contracts. Entity B has two employees uh, who have, before the acquisition, purely acted on the direction of the seller's group management. There's no other assets, no contracts, no other activities that are being transferred, just purely the subscriber contracts. Now, if Telco A, as the acquirer, elects to apply the concentration test to the scenario, it would result in this not being a business combination. There's no other assets, as we said, no contracts, no other activities that are being transferred. And substantially, all of the fair value 
would be contained within that subscriber base. The two employees would not be considered to be a substantive workforce as they could be replaced at no significant cost. And I'm sure I'll touch on this concept of substantive a bit later. So if we think about it, because the optional concentration test was applied, Talco A would account for this as an asset acquisition. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. The example definitely helps. So what would happen if the test is failed or if the acquirer chooses not to apply the optional test? Well, in that case, the entity would need to assess if the acquired activities meet the definition of a business, which includes assessing if there are inputs, processes, or outputs. Could you perhaps unpack this for our listeners in a bit more detail? Yes, sure. So the amendment says, in order to be a business, an acquired set needs to have an input, not just any process, but a substantive process that significantly contribute to the ability to create outputs. Now, in relation to processes, these do not need to be documented, and this would be the case, for example, in the context of an organized workforce. And another important thing is that an organized workforce could be an input, a process, or both. For example, a consulting firm might include employees, being the inputs that use their intellectual capacity, being the process, to generate outputs. The amendment also narrows down the definition of outputs uh, and says that it's the result of the input being applied to the processes that provide goods or services to customers that generate investment income or generate other income from ordinary activities. Lastly, the framework distinguishes between Firstly, where an acquired set does not have outputs, and secondly, where the set does have outputs. Okay, so could we start with the set that does not have output? Certainly. So where a set does not have outputs, an acquired process is substantive only if it is critical to the ability to generate outputs and the inputs acquired include both an organized workforce, and that workforce is skilled, knowledgeable, has experience to perform the process, as well as other inputs in order to generate the outputs. Okay, so in a nutshell, one would need a critical process, an organized workforce, and other input. And what about when the set does have output? So if the set has outputs, then an acquired process is substantive if either it is critical to producing the outputs and an organized workforce is part of the inputs acquired, or the process is unique, cannot be replaced easily, and significantly contributes to producing the outputs. So if we think back to our earlier example of the customer base acquisition, the two employees do not represent a substantive process as they could be replaced without significant cost and they were certainly not critical. Perfect. However, this still seems complex. Any chance you could bring this to life for us with an example? Sure, Dipti, I've, I've come prepared. Let's assume we have Talco A that purchases an entity, again, we'll say entity B, from a third party, Talco C. And Talco A elects to apply the concentration test. 
So Entity B owns a portfolio of Talco Towers in Western Africa and also manages co-location agreements with other Talcos. Let's also assume that Entity B employs highly skilled engineers to maintain and expand their tower network, and it has development management and customer relationship managers. Now, the reason for Talco A acquiring Entity B is not only for the tower assets, but for the whole tower network and the customer relationships. Now, in this example, the concentration test is not met. And this is because all of the fair value is not concentrated in a single identifiable asset or similar assets. We have the organized workforce that is critical to maintain and expand the tower network, and we also have the customer relationships. Now, based on the, on the above, this would be accounted for as a business combination as there are inputs, being the tower assets, the customer relationships, and organized workforce, and a substantive process in the form of the critical, highly skilled workforce. Okay, that is actually quite helpful. Thank you very much for that. So last question to wrap up this podcast. When is this amendment effective? That's a great question, Dipti. The amendment is effective for business combinations for which the acquisition date is on or after 1 January 2020 and to asset acquisitions that occur on or after the beginning of that period. Thanks for joining us, Renita. This has been quite insightful. You're welcome, Dipti. This brings us to the end of this episode of Talco Talks. Stay tuned for our next episode. The preceding podcast was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.